A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm flattered and pleased to be here. Shortcuts always works. You know, ho- hopefully you can make it work this time, but... Uh... <laughs> so Colby Kosh is here from Edmonton. How you doing, Colby? Real good, real good. Columnist with McLean's Magazine. Yes, indeed. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Marco Campana. Daniel Spence, Ryan Bird, Dan Webb, Lise Charlebois, Judy Wolf, Eli Diamond, Connor Rosine, Sam Punnett, and Helen Hegedus. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Today, the RCMP released a video recorded by gunman Michael Zahaf Bebo right before he stormed the hill and opened fire. So we are retaliating the Mujahideen of this world. Canada's officially become one of our enemies by fighting and bombing us and creating a lot of terror in our country and killing us. For months, there was speculation C.F. Bebo was mentally ill or high on drugs. Not so, said Paulson. The RCMP believes on the evidence that Zihaf Bibo was a terrorist. I think it re-emphasizes the, the, the point uh, that there is a, uh, a grave risk to Canadians' uh, safety. Whether the October attack was about jihad, that seems to be settled now, Wendy. It's settled. He's not crazy. He's a jihadist. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure... I think we may be committing the fallacy of the excluded middle here. Uh, I mean... Uh, was that the debate? Was was like, oh, either he's crazy or he's a terrorist, and, and which are not mutually... I mean, there's the, the terminology here, like, we just have to get very specific, I think. I never really understood why we were having that debate. It seemed to be because Mulcair, Thomas Mulcair in particular, and I think Elizabeth May got into it. They were sort of saying, well, wait, there's no evidence... There's no indication that he's a terrorist in the traditional mold. Uh, You know, we don't want to jump to any hasty conclusions. The police were saying, of course, well, we have this tape that shows that he had sort of uh, jihad ideas or terrorist connections. Uh, And then we got into the other debate about whether the tape should be played. And I, I, I was never really I was never really sure I had a grip on the whole debate. Um, it, the tape does seem to be pretty decisive that he had absorbed these ideas, that he had, he had the intention of, you know, being uh, an avenger on behalf of the Muslim world or what have you. Uh, so in, in that sense, I suppose it's a closed discussion. But uh, I, I found it – I did find it a little curious that people were so concerned about the label. Um, oh, I'm, I'm terribly concerned about the label. And, and, and for me, the, 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 the video proves nothing. Does it settle something for you? It settles. He states his intention of, of punishing Canada in retaliation for uh, interventions in the Muslim world. And there seems to be a religious component to it. He makes it very clear that he is uh, acting according to what he sees as God's law. 
I, I don't know how you can say it's not terrorism. Okay, there's the leap, right? So, okay, there's no question that he is a guy who picked up uh, jihadist ideas and uh, considers himself, you know, uh, a, a Muslim, which I'm sure a lot right. of Muslims calls, him, calls himself a mujahideen specifically. Absolutely, right? Like he he completely like within his own mind, that's what he's doing, and he has some political. So if that's how you you know define it, then yeah, he qualifies. But if the point here is that, and and the political aspect of this is that we need there is a political will to define him as a terrorist because we have all these special laws that we've set up and are trying to further that are specific to terrorists where we we put civil liberties on hold and we we deal with this in a completely other category than crime. And I don't know that he's in that other category. I think that the the distinguishing feature would not be that he calls himself a mujahideen or a jihadist or whatever. It would be that he's part of an actual international militarized organization. And that, for me, was to me, he's still a crazy guy operating on, as far as I know, completely solo. And in that respect, he's no different than somebody saying, "Oh, I'm in Anonymous," or "I'm in the Kiss Army." Like the fact that he found a bunch of ideas on the internet or whatever and identifies with them doesn't change the fact to me that he's just another crazy guy with a gun. Right. The one problem with that take on it is that he very specifically attacked. He was attacking our democracy. He was attacking this. Uh, he, he was attacking our legislature, our place where we assemble to uh, conduct debates about foreign policy and laws and sort of. So that sort of puts it on another level, in much the same way that if I shoot my neighbor, I'm a murderer. If I try to shoot Stephen Harper, I'm become a an assassin. I enter a different category. In that sense, again, I don't see that it's disputable. It was. Uh, different from an ordinary murder in that it was it, there was a political intention there. More particularly, there was an intention to discourage a particular kind of activity by Canada's democracy, a particular kind of, uh, you know, uh, he, he had sort of political, specifically political vengeance in mind. I mean, it, it feels to me like the qualifying thing that makes it terrorism is, is only that it's about Muslim extremism. That's what people are looking for in order to check that well, box off. It goes beyond that, though. It's, it's it's political. It's intended to again discourage certain kinds of political activity on the part of the Canadian polity or whatever word you want to use. Um, so, in that sense, there's a political aspect to it. I, I won't dispute that. I, I guess it's just that, like, uh, I mean, you know, and 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 the uh, the shooting plot that was foiled uh, by those uh, idiot neo Nazis. Uh, well, that's a political ideology. Neo-Nazism is a political ideology. Yes. Uh, so who cares that it's political? I mean, it's, to me, it's just a crime. You know, it's, 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 uh, this becomes, we, get, we have to parse the, the semantics of this because this gets folded into uh, conservative uh, fundraising literature and campaign material because the, and, and because it's being used to justify Bill C-51. Right. And, but you have to, I mean, I think we can call... Ziaf Babo a terrorist without necessarily endorsing C-51. I don't really care. It's not like I, I, I'm, I, I need to, it's very important for me to you know, establish that he's not a terrorist. It's just about what that word means and how it's being used and who we exclude from that. Well, and, and my, my take on this, uh, I published in December um, talking about the history of the 19th century in Europe and the United States. I mean, educated people know a lot about the assassins of uh, Lincoln and Garfield and McKinley. And these people seem to me to have a lot of parallels with the guys like Zihaf Bebo. If you read about uh, 
Guiteau, who was the guy, I hope I, God, I hope I have this right. If you read about Guiteau, who was sort of this crazy loner who shot Garfield, uh, you see a lot of parallels with Zihaf Bibbo. You see the same history of sort of mental illness and failure, this overpowering desire in the assassin to connect himself with a wider group and to be seen as some sort of hero. It's all very familiar if you read about these guys. They didn't have the, they didn't have the modern concept of terrorism, quote unquote, to apply to this stuff. We don't think of John Wilkes Booth, who shot Lincoln, we don't think of him as a terrorist. But if you sort of, if you read about the guy. Death to you know, tyrants, yeah. Right, he was, he, he was taking revenge in much the same way that an Islamist terrorist would. He was sort of taking revenge on behalf of a defeated nation. He, he was sort of acting on the same motives. You know, he's sort of a, a Mujahid Hedin for the defeated South. Yeah. If you read 19th century history in this way, they don't have the concept. They simply hadn't formed the concept that we have of terrorism yet. But there are all these incredible parallels and these people who committed these crimes, uh, people who tried to blow up Napoleon or <laughs> shoot at Queen Victoria, these people all had the same motives and the same life histories that our modern freelance Muslim terrorists, you know, who are now popping up. They have the same – it's the same thing. It's the same I thing. You don't necessarily need the word to understand it. I think it's always the same thing. I think I think that there's always going to be alienated people right. who who uh, glom on to some ideology, and it's and it's it's always the same mix of sexual repression and you know glorification after death, and you know delusions of grandeur, and you know whether like, if you look at the school shooters, if it, you know it's, it's just you change the milieu, you change the person, and they're going to find a different ideology and. Attacking the ideology as opposed to asking yourself, why did these people get that way? What are the circumstances that led to this person's alienation? Uh, it, it, like, you're, you know, and, and then making this huge, you know, intern, like this national monster out of the ideology itself. Not to like, this is a, a thing in other parts of the world that you have to worry about every day when you set foot outside of your home. Muslim extremism is like a real serious threat in lots of places in the world. It just isn't in Canada. That, uh, that, so I, I, I feel like every time this happens, we miss the opportunity to say, why is it that certain people, and there are patterns to who those people are, uh, find themselves so alienated and angry from our society? And it's almost like that's verboten. You can't ask that because then somehow you're giving something away you know, to the enemy. Yes, but at the same time, I'm uh, sort of constitutionally a skeptic that we can necessarily do anything about it. I mean, I suppose one of the things that was instructive for me reading about these 19th century proto or pre-terrorists was that it helps you get the religion out of it. I mean, as an atheist, I'm not particularly friendly to religion. And when I see somebody like Zihaf Bibbo, I'm tempted to go, oh, well, look, he got the, he got the virus in his brain. Uh, you know, that's, that's religion for you again. He thought he was going to be the great Mujahideen hero, figures. Uh, but if you go back and look at nationalistic terrorists, you know, a lot of whom were sort of not necessarily very religious, but who were effect influenced by other kinds of ideas or other political motives, it, it helps you push aside the Muslim thing a little bit. It helps you see the wider context. That's sort of what that reading did for me. Yeah. I, I think that that's actually like the useful distinction is like there are instances, be it like Nelson Mandela or the early Zionists who were, who were doing like who were bombings that were, you know, they were specifically, you know, political 
violent acts for yeah. specific organized militaristic political goals versus this other phenomenon we see where people you know what i described earlier where 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 sort of you know people either you know one at a time or they get into groups of 3 and they get they get really mentally set on something which is it's 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 a, that's a distinction that i think is is worth having some different terminology about um maybe uh, you're almost raising a different point there just because there are sort of there are terrorists we forgive after they win i mean that's sort of that's sort of a brutal truth of history if you look at the american revolution there was certainly a lot of terror there uh, you know, people who were loyalists were sort of uh, being uh, attacked and uh, chased out. And that's how we end up with Canada. Uh, and none of that is, you know, sort of brought up when we talk about the great founding fathers and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, that's almost a separate point is that while there are terrorists who later become freedom fighters. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, mean, that, that, I think that, <laughs> that, that it fits squarely in one of those categories, which is, you know, it, when a nation did it, it's war. But when it's people trying to start a nation, it's terrorism until they get the nation and then it's OK. Yes. Yeah. They become, they become part of the history of the nation. Colby, I know you've been waiting for this with bated breath. Justin Trudeau has finally spelled out his vision for Canada. These conservatives pretend to talk a good game about freedom, but look at what they've done with it. They've fallen a long way from the era of Sir John A. Macdonald to the why-do-you-hate-freedom taunts of the recently departed Sun News Network. Their instincts are now to be suspicious of people who do not share their beliefs, to harden divisions with people whose views differ from their own. In my seven years in Parliament, I have heard the Conservative Prime Minister accuse two different leaders of the NDP of sympathizing with terrorists. Their approach to politics might work in the short term, but it is corrosive over time, especially in a diverse country like Canada. Mercy. Yes. Hard-hitting stuff. Visionary. Um, that's maybe further than I would go, but I, I was favorably impressed with it. Maybe just, I'm sort of a sucker uh, for, uh, well, what's the right way to say this? I, in some respects, are, am the, t the target audience for this speech. I've been saying for 15 or 20 years, it would be great if the Liberal Party of Canada uh, noticed that the root of liberal, the word liberal, the root of the word liberal is liberty. For all the sort of low blows that he landed, and you, you heard him mention Sun News Network there and sort of you know, <laughs> tying the conservatives to something that they seem to have happily let die, I thought the thrust of it was very impressive and I think it'll probably be a success. It'll do him more good than harm. Well, I'm using visionary because I was told so many times, uh, I think before the speech and after it, that this was going to be the big visionary speech. Here it comes, the big vision for Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm with you. Yeah, let's have a return to like, like let's let's have, yeah, pluralism as a Canadian identity and, and a big liberal vision. Like, that, that's all fine. There's, you know, uh, w without getting too much into the content of it. And it, it is interesting. As a radio guy, I'm always very conscious of when people... Uh, when they're reading, whether they sound like they're reading. And, like, dude sounds like he's reading to me. Little, but, in the clip, uh, it seems that way a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm just, uh, you know, more focused on, like, how everyone plays along with this, you know, the, the political theater of, you know, where the message is sent that this is the big speech and everybody's like, okay, here's the big speech. And everyone's told, I mean, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, if, if you're covering politics and that's what they want it to be perceived as. It's just interesting to me how... 
pre-scripted it is, and 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 you know, there's no like big uh, deception to that, but everyone plays along. There's a certain innate falsehood, or perhaps theatricality is a better uh, term for it than falsehood. But yeah, like you want, it's always struck me that Canadian politics has not had a lot of good natural orators, and you know, even the politicians who've been impressive, impressively successful in recent times, none of them are sort of. <laughs> I, none of them really strike the notes that the best American politicians sometimes do. Uh, none of them seem to have mastered the art of the older politicians like Stanley Baldwin or Franklin Roosevelt. You know, we don't seem to have very many people who rise to that level. So maybe, you know, maybe it's just a low bar. Justin Trudeau is implicitly competing with Stephen Harper, who, you know, he's not somebody who's successful because he's a great orator and we don't, I don't, that's just in in a lot of ways that just seems to be an art form that seems to be totally absent in this country. I, I'm, I'm I'm almost proud of that. Like I I I think I probably agree with everything that Trudeau said in there, and yet it doesn't move me on him one way or the other. It's not what I was looking for from him. It wasn't the speech that I was waiting for necessarily. It's you know I, I'm I want to know about policies, and he's been cagey about uh, you know getting he's been kind of keeping his powder dry on a lot of them and trying to play you know, uh, not give any fodder. Um, and, and this to me was just more of like, oh, oh okay. You know, I, I guess you take, like, it's the clearest sense I get of this strategy of how he's going to try to characterize the conservatives. And it's, you know, I think that that's like, I can, I can try to admire it as a piece of strategy. We immediately seize on this stuff and we're looking for the little, the strategic angles, you know, yeah. well, what does this mean about his future strategy for the, uh, six months or whatever it is between now and the election? You know, what does this indicate? What does this imply about the future? What does that particular word indicate? We can no longer critique it in a theatrical way, even though it's a theatrical act. It seems to be something sort of other than that. We seem to have gone past so, the yeah, phase it, where... It's a text, we used to call it in university. <laughs> yeah, if, if comparing the way we break down these speeches to literary criticism as it's practiced in a university is probably very sensible. It's probably quite right. And it's, it's a, all... It's post, we're being postmodern. Let's be postmodern. I think that there's, and that postmodernism, like like everybody can kind of jockey for where they stand. I mean, you can predict that in the wake of this speech, that there will be a, you know, if you if an organization were to have some sort of negative take on it, then there will be an appetite uh, from certain news organs for that negative take, and into that steps the Center for Your Israel and Jewish Affairs, uh, Shimon Fogel, and and like making yes. this asinine point uh, about how well you know Trudeau. Yes, it's terrible that there's racism against against Muslims in Canada, but he 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 went way too far. It's so unfortunate that there's when it comes to racism and bigotry in Canada, he said there's little to compare 1939 to 2015. Like like just okay, there's an opportunity to get that in there. And like Colby, speaking as a Jew, let me just say that I'm I'm so humiliated whenever like these Jewish organizations want to just like kind of claim the height of racism for ourselves and we don't want to share it, you know, like do not compare your racism <laughs> with ours. We suffered the worst racism and you know, you're, you're belittling what happened to us in, in 1939. You know what? If, if, if someone can actually use what happened in 1939 to make racism lesser or to increase, you know, like people's consideration of racism today, then that's like a very Jewish thing. That's a very good thing to have happen. I don't need to own Bigotry and racism circa 1939 is my point of personal pride or identification. Well, I mean, I understand why, I understand why Jews are sensitive about it, are, are sensitive to Holocaust comparisons. 
And but it wasn't even a Holocaust. Consp- it was it was a comparison about uh, Canada's racist policies in 1939 versus Canada's racist policies. Now. I I, th- I think it's still fair to ask whether Trudeau went too far in that part of the speech. But I'm not a – people sometimes do seem to forget that Godwin's law is not actually a law. Like it's not actually a statute. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's almost a uh, – we're maybe a little too more scared than we should be to talk about uh, the history of European fascism, where it comes from, how it came about. Okay, so Colby, finally, this is about Amanda Lang. And uh, the CBC has cleared her of all journalistic transgressions in uh, a a report that they released last week. We've already done this. Uh, Sean Craig at CanadaLandShow.com, I think, did a point-by-point evisceration of this this response. But at the same time, Q Q, uh, decided to get in there and talk about the Amanda Lang controversy. And this is what it sounded like. In January, the CBC's senior business correspondent, Amanda Lang, faced a lot of criticism for a perceived conflict of interest. What is the point when a personal relationship becomes a conflict of interest? I think at any point, if you're that high profile. You you do? Yeah. We should once again reiterate that Amanda Lang's actions have been cleared by Mm -hmm. the CBC. And it was found to be within our journalistic standards and practices. Then I think there's something wrong with CBC's journalism standards. I want to bring Dave in here to to weigh in on some of the broader issues that we're getting at. But I also want to jump in here and note that she did disclose her relationship with the RBC um, member to the CBC. It wasn't disclosed publicly, but it was disclosed within the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Okay. She didn't pose a single hard question. But she did conduct that interview within the journalistic standards and practices of CBC. Maybe and we can broaden and this. this is what, are we to take from that that her standards are higher than we thought? Or are we to take from that that maybe CBCs are lower than we thought? Uh, we can't. Amanda is not here to defend herself. Let's broaden this out and talk about uh, journalism on a larger scale. Colby, can we just broaden this out? <laughs> <laughs> I... Look, I, I normally with a story. That's that, what you say when you don't like the way things are going, Jesse. That's it. It's, <laughs> okay, I have to get into the weeds here and not broaden it out and get very specific. <laughs> and, and normally, like with a story this high profile, there's so many people talking about the story, and 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 we've had our say. And Sean has written, I think, a pretty devastating takedown of the CBC's uh, review. And, and yet, I, I have to correct two errors in that because no one else is doing it. Like, it's incredible to me that everybody picked up the fact that the CBC cleared her and there was not a critical word uttered in the press so far, except for um, iPolitics, Andrew Mitrovica, of course, <laughs> you know, he, he got in there, but nobody else did. So there's two things that were said there that were wrong. They were just plain wrong. Uh, okay, so the guest brings up conflicts of interest and the host, the guest host, Talia Schlanger says, oh no, Lang was cleared by the CBC report. And the implication there is that she was cleared of conflicts of interest. That is not true. Uh, Her journalism was cleared absurdly, but the report completely avoids the question of whether or not she had a conflict. It avoids weighing in with a judgment, whether or not Lang had a conflict or not, which, you know, she obviously did. And the second point Colby is that um, uh, Talia Schlanger, the host says that Lang uh, did disclose that she was in a personal relationship with an RBC board member to CBC management, just not to her <laughs> listeners. That too is incorrect. She never did. She did not tell management about that. So for the record, I, 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 that, that, you know, I, I, I give them props for going there, but if the only way you can go there is to shut down a chorus you know, all three panelists saying, yeah, this was not okay, shut them down and then misrepresent the story with two, two key points, then maybe just don't even go My there. My favorite part of that panel discussion, it's one you didn't mention, it's the one where halfway through, 
the discussion, which she presumably has organized and is prepared to conduct, she notices that Amanda Lang is not in the room. <laughs> After, t- you know, t- three or four minutes of discussion with these panelists about Amanda Lang's behavior and whether it was appropriate, suddenly she notices, oh, Amanda Lang's not here to defend herself. Guys, guys, come on. And I'm, well, sitting, be- there, I'm sitting there incredulous. Yeah. And, and I just think... <laughs> Oh my, oh my God, you poor dear, you didn't notice, you didn't realize that Amanda Lang is not here with us. Suddenly, but Colby, suddenly. but Colby, it was not a panel discussion about Amanda Lang's conduct. It was a panel discussion about the broader issues a, suggested by Amanda Lang's conduct. It was a panel discussion in which pretty clearly, having been given this sort of official looking document by the CBC that no wrong was done, she expected these three independent media commentators, she expected that at least one of them would go along you know, would be impressed by the typeface or whatever. And, and well, she seems surprised at the beginning when the first guest actually goes against Lang. And she, she, really? <laughs> and immediately, I mean, you got Chris Selly sitting there from the National Post. Immediately things started to go uh, badly for her. And honestly, it sounded to me like she was near tears at the end of that segment. She did, and I feel bad for piling on. She already got piled on on her own show. And, no doubt. You know, we do live in this very small world of journalists where just everybody generally knows most people. We've all sort of been in the same room at one, at one time or another. And it's very uncomfortable for us to get specific about this stuff. It's just so much easier to go broader, right? It's easier to go meta. It's easier to say, well, let's have the wider discussion rather than discuss what so-and-so who is married to so-and-so and whom I've met several times for coffee and like a lot. Let's, <laughs> it's not so easy to get into the nuts and bolts. I, I just wish that there was some like, you know, well, Let's let's go broader because I don't want to offend the person who's at, at, at my my tennis club. Instead, no, it's 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 always this smarm. It's always this kind of like high mindedness that's guiding the going broader. That's what bugs me is, is when they yeah. is when there's actually this this like I, I, idea that that's like the more academic or thoughtful it's, way. to Yeah, go. it's chicken shit disguised as high mindedness. I can't put it any more simply than that. <laughs> That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. I can always be emailed at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. And I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. Colby, where are you? I'm on Twitter as Colby Kosh. The website is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Andrew Norton. And the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. If you like this show, support it. Real good, real good. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.